You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome every, welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live as we are uh, here joining you on a Thursday. Father Leffer and Father Gross are with you here in the Grand Forks studios. We are um, uh, working to line up our next guest. Uh, hopefully we will have him with us shortly, Carl Adolfson, who is the president of the Sacred Heart School in East Grand Forks. And uh, it is uh, a through K-12 system of Catholic schools in the Grand Cities, of two of the parishes in Grand Forks. Uh, St. Michael's and Holy Family St. Mary's have K through 5 elementary schools, but uh, across the river there is a K through 12 school system. And uh, it happens to be the only Catholic high school in the Diocese of Crookston, Minnesota. So that's one of the claims to fame of Sacred Heart. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on a couple of names that Bishop Cousins had mentioned s- since we're talking about Catholic education here. The first one, Elizabeth Ann Seton, whose feast day is on uh, January 4th. Uh, She is a woman who was raised Episcopalian in New York City. Her maiden name was Bailey. She married a um, a shipping and merchandising uh, magnate by the name of William Seton from a uh, wealthy family. And this is right around the time she grew up, right around the time of the American Revolution. So think about the 1770s, 1780s, that time frame. Um, Her husband was in poor health, and her doctor suggested a different climate in order to try to um, revive his uh, respiratory health. So they settled in Italy uh, as a family with five small children. Sadly, Mr. Seton passed away. He wasn't able to overcome his illness. And yet... Um, So she stayed behind in Italy, and uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton uh, experienced a profound conversion uh, to the Catholic faith, returned to America, and right around that time in the early 19th century, what was happening is that uh, she was discerning a possible call to religious life in order to assist in the work of Catholic education. And uh, she was paired up with uh, the early bishops of the Diocese of Baltimore, And there's a town in Maryland by the name of Emmitsburg, which is kind of the home base for St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. There's a a seminary nearby called Mount St. Mary Seminary that a lot of guys in our various dioceses have uh, attended for school. And so she uh, started her religious order there and was one of really, really one of the pioneers for Catholic education in the United States. Uh, The very next day happens to be the Memorial of St. John Neumann, and we pronounce it that way because of his German heritage, N-E-U-M-A-N-N, not to be confused with uh, John Henry Newman, the Anglican convert to Catholicism, who uh, also lived around that same time in uh, Great Britain. John Neumann, interestingly, uh, discerned his call to the priesthood, but in the particular diocese that he was living in, there was a surplus of candidates, and so he was encouraged to uh, go somewhere else if someone would have him for missionary work, particularly in the New World. So imagine if you're the Bishop of New York, and somebody knocks on your door, a young seminarian who says, I've had all of my classes, Um, my bishop uh, chose not to ordain me, but I'm ready to to go to work, Um, you know, uh, put me to work wherever you need me, 
And so he ended up serving, I think, out in what is now Buffalo, New York, and various other areas, eventually became the Bishop of Philadelphia, served there for about a decade until uh, his death around the year 1860. Uh, People talk about how he was uh, short of stature. He was not very tall at all. And so it looked a little awkward when he was uh, in the saddle and he would be riding from one place to the next that his feet were barely hitting the, the stirrups and stuff. And, and people would mock him in a sense by how that appeared. And yet, even though there was something that looked kind of ridiculous, they couldn't help but admire his devotion and his desire to uh, be a true shepherd after the heart of Christ to his people. Here is a fun fact about uh, St. Bishop John Neumann. Yes. As a personal connection, uh, I once was a former uh, pastor of a place called Cavalier, North Dakota, and there had been a priest who was present there, and he had died in residence while he was the, the priest there. And so his effects were still there when I was there and dealing with this. And as I go through, I discover all the, these boxes and boxes of, of papers, and they're all written in Czech, so I couldn't understand them, what they were. But eventually I figured it out. The, the, name, the main, name of the priest was Cedar Peter Lekovy, and because of World War II, he was in exile, and he came to our diocese. A refugee. A refugee priest, and he ended up being a priest for a number of years for our diocese. He was the postulator for... St. John Neumann. And all oh these boxes my. written in Czech were all the process and the papers and everything f- that went through the canonization process for, um, for St. John Neumann. And, and to find those, that kind of documentation at a parish in North Dakota, of all things. Exactly. So I've always felt this kind of connection to, to St. <laughs> John Neumann because of it, you know, whatever. But it's yeah. kind of a cute little story. That brings up another important thing. Um, we in the Diocese of Fargo locally, and it'd be interesting to hear some stories from other parts of our listening area. We in the Diocese of Fargo benefited from numerous World War II era refugee priests who came to the United States and ended up matriculating in our diocese who were fleeing uh, the Soviets, the Nazi regime, various other groups like that. Uh, My hometown pastor of my childhood was one of those, uh, God rest his soul, Father Joseph Mental, who uh, was uh, born and raised in in Poland and came over uh, just at the the cusp of the start of World War II. Um, Father Vladis Alexonis was another one, uh, Lithuanian Father John Bacevichus, who was a parish pastor for almost 46 years in uh, a set of parishes in Logan County nearby where I was from, too. No, kind of the connection why our diocese benefited so much was because our former bishop, Bishop Aloysius Minch, who mm-hmm. then becomes Cardinal Minch, but he was appointed by the Pope for the reconstruction of the, the church in Germany after World War II. Yeah. And so he had all these connections with these priests who were displaced and homeless and so forth, and he would always send them to the, well, go to the Diocese of Fargo, go to the Diocese of Fargo. Right. One of the interesting things about some of these guys is that um, while they uh, had, for the most part, they had a command of Germans so that they could minister to the German-speaking communities in our diocese, they may not have known much or any English. And so we need to give credit to uh, the Franciscan sisters of Dillingen and their mother house (laughs) in Hankinson. Oftentimes that was their first stop, and the sisters were teaching these priests English so that they could manage, you know, now that they were in America 
Africa and then were sent in some of their parishes. Um, one of my favorite stories about uh, Father Mental is that he was made pastor of a small rural parish in Pierce County. Uh, Blumenfeld was the name of the township. And one of the ex officio jobs of the pastor when he arrived there was to be the manager of the youth baseball team. And here this guy rolls in. I don't know if he'd ever even seen a baseball <laughs> game in his life. You know? <laughs> and uh, I, I could just imagine him, you know, sitting on the edge of the bench, you know, good job, boys, good job. <laughs> you know, we have um, a priest of our diocese, uh, 92 years old now, or 93 years old, Father William Sherman, yes. who, who wrote a book and it has contains the stories of all these priests who are in there and I'm the name is escaping me right now I, I, yeah he wrote so many so many books but mm-hmm. yeah the, the the German um, the the German from Russia Historical Society it really owes a debt of gratitude to the research that Father William Sherman has done in the diocese. He's uh, currently um, in residence uh, here in in Grand Forks. Uh, you know, at, of advanced age, his health has been uh, diminishing somewhat. But uh, he uh, was a very um, uh, intrepid as a. Uh, um, a researcher is a sociologist. Many of his slides, many of his photographs have been preserved by that German from Russia his, uh, heritage collection at the library at North Dakota State University. Uh, Michael Miller, the director, and I just had a, a great conversation about some of those things. There are wonderful exhibits surrounding the ma- many books that he has produced. One of them called Plains Folk might be the most common mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the uh, journeys of the Germans from Russia coming to America. America, as well as many others, Hungarian Germans from yeah. southwestern North Dakota. Prairie Mosaic is another uh, famous book that he has published. So um, do yourselves a favor, look around for some of those resources. It's a, a wonderful thing. You know, gift Father Sherman's goal was to, because he always talked about how North Dakota was never settled in a, in a normal way because the land grant and, and everything, how, how this went. Mm-hmm. But he, he was determined to track down every, every nationality that settled in North Dakota and right. to to map out where they settled and what happened as they came and received and, and where they went. So he, you know, every nationality of the world that ended up here. And he, for the most part, he succeeded. And, he, yeah. you know, and he has uh, mm-hmm. documentation. And it's, it's fascinating reads about the, right. the history of the peoples. Yeah. The, the story of European immigration into the Dakotas is, on one hand, it's, it's somewhat homogeneous because of some of the large groups that came around the same time. But there are a lot of colorful side stories as well. Um, North Dakota, for example, had about 100,000 people when it was declared a state in 1889. By 1910, we were already over 600,000. So within that 20 years, there was an enormous influx. Part of what uh, sped that along was the insistence of the Russian army to go back on their previous promise of not conscripting the German ethnic men into their army. And that led uh, a lot of these families to start looking for passage, uh, some of which landed up in Brazil and Argentina, but a large portion of whom, uh, if there was no you know, land available or no prospects in uh, what is now Germany or, or France or those areas, coming to uh, North America and the particular areas for the German from Russian community would be the Dakotas, the Canadian province of Saskatchewan, and also the state of Kansas. So, uh, and, and, a, and a bit in Nebraska too, but it was just the time frame of what was available in terms of homestead. And I often think about what that first winter or two was like. I mean, because in the Black Sea region, they knew 
the different seasons. They knew what winter was about, but they didn't know the the kinds of Siberian blizzards. Well, for, <laughs> my my great grandmother, she told me, you know, like um, her, she was I believe twelve when they arrived, and they lived in a dugout in the side of a hill. Her, yeah. her first three years, there's there's no trees, there's no wood, there's nothing to construct with it. I mean, it was uh, it was a brutal type of mm-hmm. existence. My on my mom's side, the Ukrainians, they. They they constructed sod houses and yeah. some of those sod, my mom grew up when those houses they still exist to this day exactly are people are living in them they're beautiful incredible environmentally friendly uh, <laughs> homes of uh, it, it really is it really is tremendous when one comes upon those examples because that's the kind of thing that's going to be rapidly diminishing with regard to well and uh, you know exhibits to connect this country. up is that they brought their faith with them they were people of faith filled backgrounds and they sacrificed they, a lot of them built their churches first before they built their own homes i mean it's incredible mm-hmm. testimonies right right with the with the way they were willing to uh, tithe and and commit to that in terms of that communal aspect not just looking out for number one and the individual and a lot things of them, that they would construct their priest or their church with no promise of a priest coming either they would make an act of faith and build the church and say well if we build it he will come <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I seem to have heard that somewhere before. I think maybe a movie from the 80s or something like that. All right, we're going to step away for a quick break. We have one more segment of Real Presence Live coming up right after this. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. If there is a merciful God, how can he allow such suffering? I'm Father Chris Alar. God took his greatest risk in giving you his greatest gift, free will. He risked that you may choose not to love him and to hurt your neighbor. But even then, God wants to bring a greater good out of evil. There is no worse evil than a creature nailing his creator to a tree. Yet God brought a greater good from it, your redemption. God doesn't want you to suffer, but he allows it. Why? Because your suffering can also be redemptive when you share in the cross of Christ. It is not easy, but when you learn how, it changes everything. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. And uh, I remember when uh, they came around looking for donations at the churches when they were trying to get started. And it really hit me when, I don't even remember who it was, came around, but it was just like, I think that I need this. Because I wanted to be be fed. Uh, I wasn't taking time to read my Bible or any of that, but I just knew it was like, well, if I could listen to stuff on the radio like he talked about. And so it, it was everything that it said and more. You yeah. know, in all reality. So. It doesn't take a lot of effort to turn it on. It does not take a lot of effort. You know, sometimes, really, it, I'm going to back up on that and say it, it, it almost does, because if you want to be drawn in and contemplate what is all being said on the radio, there's a lot of stuff that gets kind of deep. It's like, well, it makes you contemplate. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, okay, am I, am I ready to, to take this food in and digest it and all that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, spiritual food. So, yeah, it's That's it's true. been it's been really good for me from from my faith walk. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network. 
bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to our final segment of Real Presence Live on a Thursday. Father Jason Luffer joining me, Father James Gross, here in uh, the uh, studios in Grand Forks as we, priests of the Diocese of Fargo, are coming to you. I'm sure many of you who are listening, uh, who um, uh, jump onto social media from time to time, have been inundated with the first day of school photos from lots of different families. And in a Catholic school setting, that's particularly enjoyable. Yesterday happened to be the first day of classes for the school with which I'm affiliated, Holy Family St. Mary's in the south side of Grand Forks. It's a uh, K-5 through um, uh, institution and uh, with, with a preschool attached to it as well. And uh, one of the things that I found that was really neat is that there were a couple of kids who were carrying a little... Um, and I'm sure there's a whole cottage industry of this, little uh, specially designed chalkboards. And we had written first year of second grade or something like that so that they could stand by the sign. That was a, a popular spot. Before coming into the building, they went, almost all of them went to the sign in order to get pictures I mean, with the siblings together, with this parent or that parent. One particular picture that I found was interesting. It does, doesn't have anything to do with Catholic education. But there, was a, <laughs> but there was a family that was talking about the first day of school and uh, I think they got uh, either either as relatively new pet or something like that. But this mom, I'm sure it was the mom because dads don't think of these kinds of things. Um, <laughs> the mom got not only the pictures of the kids as they were about to leave before they were before the bus came to pick them up in school, but there was a dog. It looked like um, maybe a, um, so a lab or a golden retriever or something like that. And she put uh, a construction paper. She wrote up a sign that said "First Day Alone." <laughs> Or something like that. Uh, first, first day without the girls, or something like that. And it was right in front. And I tell you what, the dog played the part perfectly. It had this sad, kind of mournful look on its face, and you could just imagine, you know, how uh, how how bummed he or she was. You know, I mean, who's gonna play with me now? You know? <laughs> so it, this is really touching. You know, that, you know? that does bring back memories of a, a child because we, we walked to our rural street room schoolhouse. And okay, our dog was always waiting at the property seeing us come and would just go berserk when we'd come and jump on us and everything would come right home, right yeah. when you'd be close enough where they could see that okay it's it's you guys and yeah <laughs> here's one thing and i just kind of give a show it ties, sure. ties in with the beginning of the school year and all that mm -hmm. so last evening we had um you know again my situation is a little different i have three rural parishes and so we come from all different directions large geographical area and, and when we ever tr attempt to do something it's huge sacrifice on the part of people to come together it usually means lots of traveling whatever whatever so right we're, we're, we had our organizational meeting for faith formation for this year. So mm -hmm. I always have this all parents meeting and come together. And first of all, I just, I was so proud of my parents. I mean, they showed up. I mean, they really did. They showed, I mean, it's, it, and this, you got to understand we're in harvest season. We're all kinds of first day of school, yeah. all kinds of things going on. And they were there. And I just, I bring this up because I, I was, I was touched so deeply uh, by the parents last evening. Just, just not, not just being there, but becoming active participants in crafting how we're doing faith formation this year, looking ahead to the year, and then going through the whole calendar and everybody in, in advance making, knowing, making sacrifices financially, time-wise, food, all these things saying and committing and saying, yes, we will do this. We will be a part of this. We will. And knowing like there could be an outbreak of COVID, all, all these different things, whatever. But I mean, after the meeting, I was just, before the Lord there, I was just, I was so humbled by like, 
the, the willingness of the parents, the, the, mm-hmm. we want this for our children. We know this is important. We, maybe we don't know our faith the best we could or this or that, but Father, well, tell us, what do we need to do here to make this happen, to make it go? And it, again, just touch so deeply by the, yeah. the witness of that faith. You know, it you know? is so important, I think, for listeners to hear us as priests say that sort of thing in terms of appreciation, because for every person who is nonchalant or, well, you know, let's just let the parish do something, and then I'm washing my hands of it, uh, there are so many others who want to integrate themselves and to know, and, and they know that their contribution really is critical to um, you know, the, the reaching the goals that you have in the faith formation. Year. And, you know, it's very humbling for we priests as we sit there and say, like, well, who are who are we to demand this of the parents or to be there? Where and, and like their their generous response to say, like, I, I don't I don't deserve this generous response. I'll take it and I want more. Like in the sense, yes, we want to build this, but just that you know to see the gospel call go out and the response that, that that's there and there, there's there's real life and there's such promise going ahead and and the whole time you know the kids aren't present mm-hmm. but in my mind thinking of those children because i know these children thinking right. of them and their future and what they're becoming and you know oftentimes children have no clue the sacrifices their parents are making behind the scenes to feed them to clothe them to educate them to bring them faith whatever mm-hmm. and and again, I just, I'm saying this because those who are listening right now to say like, you know, parents, you are the primary educators of your children in faith. And right. we, we, we can't call out to you enough or inspire you enough or do anything enough to say, take an active role in this. You know, if, if it's homeschooling, if it's CCD, if it's faith formation, if it's youth group, if it's the, the various pro- like search programs or tech programs mm-hmm. or Steubenville or what have you, like be an active, proactive person in the life of your children faith-wise. I mean, we do so much for football and extracurriculars and sports and theater and whatever. Mm-hmm. The faith principle. And so, so parents, I, mean, I, I just call out to you, make a plea to you. You know, humble your priest by showing up and being generous and say, Father, what are we going to do to make a difference in our children's lives? I also want to, I join with you, Father Leffer, in in saying that and also with regard to people who are listening today who have sort of, you know, who have gifts to bring in in some capacity. If you have not been uh, active in the kinds of things that your parish is doing with regard to faith formation, whether it be on a youth or adult level, we invite you to make this the year that you kind of dive in and help out. There are lots of different ways that you can contribute, maybe not as a primary catechist, but as somebody who is sort of floating or helping out or being available as a substitute, various things like that. Um, And, you know, various dioceses have these um, uh, conditions with regard to background check and code of conduct, various things like that, and the training, uh, which is necessary to assure for the the safety and the most positive, secure experience for everyone who participates. But uh, please don't let that uh, deter you. You know, the, the, the more the merrier, just just because you're not hearing a lot of scuttlebutt from the part of your parish saying, okay, we need this, we need that, uh, please come forward because well, we can find a place for you. And here's the thing about it. So oftentimes it's it's the families who have all the children, young children, they're exa- exhausted, they're tapped out, they're, you know, and so often I hear people say like, oh yeah, we raised our children, we did that, done that. Well, wait yeah. a minute, you're you're in the primary place mm-hmm. because maybe you're older or yes, are empty nesters. <laughs> right, and to say like, you're actually the one the church needs right now you have the ability to come and chaperone like i love it when my adults come come to my classes 
parents, be their chaperones, come there, be there. And the kids love it when adults are there. They're like, whoa, and this is important. And then the interaction that can happen. And mm-hmm. yeah, so just making it appeal across the generations, like you yeah. are valued and you're valuable and we cannot mm-hmm. communicate the faith of the next right. generation without your mm-hmm. presence, without your help and your gifts, your abilities. Uh, there, there are numerous people who kind of self-impose a time limit or whatever, a term limit when my two or three children were from within this window or range of age. Well, maybe there's a, an opportunity for you to continue to help out uh, and not just think about it as something you did uh, in the past, but uh, that this is a way not only to um, give of, of yourself, but to receive blessings from like the Lord. Like last night, I had a couple of these. They don't have children, but they've been adults. They've been hanging there for years, kind of help. And I, I said, can you give a testimony? Why would you take your Wednesday nights and do this? And they were giving these beautiful testimonies about, Father, when I do this, I, I learn. I grow in faith. I'm Here I am, 63 years old, and I'm discovering things about my faith, even though I've done this for 10 years now, yeah. that I've never known, and I, I'm inspired by this. And, and the youth bring life, right, mm-hmm. to the older generation yeah yeah that's really the that that's really the key too yeah and that integrating of the two of the various generations together as we're coming to the end of the hour let's uh, toss things to therese at command central to get a preview of our next show yeah thank you father so on the next real presence live that's tomorrow from 9 to 11 a.m central nathan sather is your host coming to you live from the studio here in fargo joe rutten will be on with us to talk about the saint of the day and why she is special to him. And then Father Charles Rebol from the Diocese of Duluth will be talking about Catholic devotions. All that and more is coming up on the next Real Presence Live. That's Friday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Back okay. to you. Thank you very much, Therese. And uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up very quickly here, Father, is that uh, uh, this is a great time of the year for a lot of different reasons, particularly because today happens to be the first day of the great Minnesota get-together, the Minnesota State Fair, which is back on after, of course, the um, the hiatus last year. And uh, one of the interesting things I like to share about people, if, if you've never been there before, it's, a, it's an unbelievable mass of humanity and all of the different things, you know, very foods on a stick and and all the different experiences that are there but it is the second largest attended state fair in the united states behind texas oh i thought you were going to say north dakota <laughs> <laughs> we must be a close third <laughs> and i believe the south dakota state fair is taking place next week as well so um there i know there are a lot of families that really gear up especially farming families with 4-h and cattle exhibits and things like that so that's a lot of fun to see too so um really looking forward to that if you're going to make your trip to uh, one of these uh, area state fairs safe travels to all of you so, um, and I think there are a lot of people who are, uh, it, it, there's a little bit of melancholy, isn't there? Because we still have some beautiful summer weather, but things are winding down. So if they have a lake home, they got to be thinking to themselves, okay, we got to pull out the pontoon and put the dock away and, you know, winterize. Well, so and it affects like me directly and dramatically because I'm a cyclist. So you, to have a good ride, you need a certain amount of time. And mm-hmm. y- every, every morning and every evening, I'm watching that sun come up later and go down earlier. And yeah. it's crunching the time down that you have. Right. To outside and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, so, you yeah. know, so you want to take advantage of the days where you don't have a 25, 30 mile per hour wind, you know, that's... <laughs> 
Do you want to offer a quick uh, blessing and prayer Absolutely, for us, Father? Father? Again, what a blessing and treat to be with you and all of our guests this morning and Real Presence Live. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. And also with you, with your spirit. God, our Father, send your Holy Spirit, Lord, and give our life into our hearts, our minds, our imaginations to remain with us and keep us secure with you and one with you always. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. May this blessing come down upon you and remain with you always, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So thanks so much for joining us on Real Presence Live. And until next time, Father Jason Leffer, Father James Gross, uh, wishing you and your families all sorts of blessings. Take care and God bless you. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.